Let's uh, start with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you very much for the day. We thank you for your love and your grace and for your work in our lives. We thank you that we get to open up the Bible and study it today. And we just pray that you would be our teacher, that the Holy Spirit would do a remarkable work, and that we would just see you in, in, a, in, in a new way, a better way, a unique way, that we would understand your great love for us and your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you for the teachers and for their efforts as they teach the children and the teenagers, and we just pray that you would just uh, use this hour in a tremendous way for your honor and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to be studying Ruth this morning, the book of Ruth. And um, it's, uh, it is a book about God's faithfulness, even when we are not. Ruth occurs um, in a very dark time of life because Ruth takes place during the period of the judges. And we went through some of the judges' things. And, and, of course, the thing with the judges was that every man did what was right in his own eyes. And we saw the consequence of that over and over again. Hopefully you read um, judges some time in the last handful of weeks and you've seen some of that. But Ruth begins, and it says in verse 1 of Ruth, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and that a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And so the book of Ruth takes place uh, during the time of Judges, and unlike the, the, the book of Judges and all the stories of Judges, Ruth is a very uplifting story. It's a good story. It's a, it's a wonderful book. And so what, what, we, what we see from that right away is that there are constantly, constantly, as God is at work, there are constantly pockets of things going on. And one of the things that goes on in our lives that we need to be reminded of on a regular basis is our pocket does not tell the whole story. Okay, there's a lot of things going on. You can take that both positive and negative. Um, we can take that with the fact that in, in the pocket of our world, we don't face a lot of persecution. But we recognize that there are indeed around the world pockets of persecution. We, we look around sometimes and we say that the church in the United States of America is not what it ought to be or it's struggling or it's apathetic or you fill in the blank. And yet, if you look at what's going around the world, you see pockets where the church is, is dynamic and remarkable and exploding and growing and different than what it is here. And so we need to make sure that we never allow what is going on in our world to be the only perspective we have. And we live in a pretty remarkable time for that to happen, don't we? I mean, we can know what's going on around the world very quickly, and, and in fact, sometimes we know too much. Uh, but, but we need to understand that. And that's kind of one of the things with, with Ruth here. So God's doing a lot of things in a lot of different areas and a lot of different places, and just, that's just good to keep in mind, all right, um, just so that you remember that. So the book of Ruth, um, he, he, all is not lost. He's still doing some amazing things. God is always at work, and it's a very, very, very big world. So what we're going to look at today, our theme is the steadfast love of God is seen in the love of Ruth for Naomi and Boaz's kindness to redeem his family. The Christ connection is that Boaz was the family redeemer who showed kindness, undeserved kindness to Ruth, a foreigner. In similar manner, Jesus is the redeemer who has shown unmerited kindness to us and adopted us into his family. And our application is, is that God wants us to respond toward his love by extending the same kind of love 
and redeeming love to everyone that we run into in our lives. And so that's what we need to do. I want to read to you the introduction for Ruth. That we're going to kind of buzz through this, and then we're going to do a uh, little bit of a Bible study at the end of our time together this morning. The quarterly's introduction to this lesson says this. The story of Ruth is like a breath of fresh air in the midst of the gloomy and turbulent times of the judges. The opening verse sets the stage during the time of Judges. We have seen in the book of Judges the cycle of God's people forgetting his goodness and mercy, turning away from him, falling into miserable slavery as a consequence, and then being delivered by God's appointed leaders. We could sum up the lesson we learned from the Judges cycle in one sentence. God is faithful even when we are not. Ruth continues this theme of God's faithfulness in dark times. Here we see a picture of God's steadfast love and undeserved kindness to his people. In fact, love is a key theme of Ruth, and redemption is the heart of the story. The Hebrew, in Hebrew, the words for redeem, redeemer, and redemption occur 20 times in this small little book of Ruth. In this story, God shows his faithfulness through his redemptive work demonstrated here in the love between Ruth and Boaz. I use the word redemption a lot. We talk about that a lot, that God redeems things. God is a redeemer, those kinds of things. You, you use that word a lot, I'm sure. We read about it a lot. What's the basic essence of the word redeem? What's it mean? Bought back. Okay, bought back. Exactly right. And, it, and, it, and, and with us, how is it that we were bought back? What? By the blood of Christ, we were what? Yeah, destined for, headed toward, on the path to hell. We were eternal uh, life without him. That's exactly right. We were bought back. He redeemed us. You guys, you guys all remember green stamps. Most of you in here remember green stamps, I'm sure. We, we, we lived with green stamps. I can remember licking them and putting them in the books. I mean, that's, that's how we survived, it seemed like, right? So anyway, there's a few in the room looking at us like, what? <laughs> but not very many. <laughs> and, and so... It, we redeemed them. You, you, that's what you did. You redeemed. You bought back. You got this for that. And, and uh, <clears throat> that's what we've done. And the other thing that, that the Lord does in our lives then as believers is that, is that the Lord redeems the situations of our life. The situations of our life that are gloomy or bad or discouraging or overwhelming or whatever it is, he redeems those situations. He then, because of his grace, he takes those and he uses them and, and turns them into something different than what they are. He's a redeemer, and he redeems constantly, okay? And so we see that in Ruth over and over again. Before we jump into the passage we'll study today, our quarterly says, it's important that we understand the background information. The story of Ruth contains a practice called the family redeemer or the kinsman redeemer. It was a way of assuring a relative that in the case of a man's death, his land would not remain permanently outside the family. It was also a way of ensuring that a childless widow would be able to marry her husband's brother in order to provide an heir and continue the family line. Both aspects of being a kinsman redeemer show up in this story. So it was your opportunity and obligation to help take care of somebody, a widow, or something has happened to her husband, and so the family would embrace her, take her in. You would do that by marrying the son, or you would do that by <clears throat> um, you know, taking the land and taking responsibility for that, taking responsibility for the family. And so you increased your wealth, if you will, but you also increased your responsibilities. And so that kind of stuff went on, and we see that here in this story, that that's exactly what it was, is that we see that, that there are people that need, and people responded, all right? And that's going to be an important thing for us to then look forward to Jesus Christ. There are people to need, in need, and Jesus Christ 
responds to us, all right? The, there's one of the things that um, quarterly says there, one of the voices from the church, it says this, God has sent a guardian redeemer to bring us out of the empty vacuum of circumstance-dependent existence apart from him into a new world bursting at the seams with a life in relationship with him. Listen to that again. God has sent a guardian redeemer to bring us out of the empty vacuum of circumstance-dependent existence apart from him into a new world bursting at the seams with a life in relationship with him. That's what he's done. He has redeemed us. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to the book of Ruth, and let's take a look at this. God's love, and it is an un, un, unyielding, unending, forever love, and it is absolutely amazing. It says this in, in chapter 1, verse 2, where we read verse 1. The name of the man was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malcolm and Chilon, Ephorites of Benjamin and Judah, and they entered the land of Moab, and they remained there. Then Imelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with two sons. They took the, for themselves Moabite women as their wives. The name of the one was Oprah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. And she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she returned from the place where she was and her two daughters and her, daughter, and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said to return my daughters, why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands, the idea of the Redeemer? Return my daughter. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, I should even have tonight and bear sons. Would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And so what we see is the situation that they, they went into Moab and, and their sons married Moab women and, and then everybody died. And so what we have is we have Ruth and her two daughter-in-laws. Ruth's going to go home. And so she says, you, you two go back and, and, and you do your thing and you live your lives and start over again. And, and they say, no, we, we want to go with you. And Ruth does her best to say, or, and, 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 excuse me, and, um, and, and, <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm struggling. Naomi does her best to say, no, you girls need to live your life. Okay? You need to live your life, and you need to understand that I can't help you. And she understood that the situation that she was about to go back into would be dire because she couldn't help them. She couldn't help herself. Okay? She was going to be dependent upon other people, and she was going to have a very hard situation to try to get going to live a life again because that was the lot of women in this day. And that's one of the reasons for the kinsman redeemer idea. One of the things we've, we want to learn from this, this whole thing that we're doing in the gospel project is that Jesus Christ is seen throughout the Old Testament. Why did he set up the kin, kinsman redeemer idea? 
it's for us to understand what Jesus does for us and who God is for us in our life and that he is the one that takes care of us, that we would rely upon him, okay? And it's a picture of him doing that, all right? So that's the situation. You know what's going on here, and you understand what's happening here. So she was going to be in an incredibly difficult situation, and she said, you girls need to go home. Verse 14, and they lifted up their voices and they wept again, and Oprah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. When you die, I will die. Therefore, I will, there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. That's, those are probably the most famous verses, verses in the book of Ruth. You, you know of them. There are necklaces about this for friendship and stuff like that. But it was a wonderful thing that she said that this is how committed I am to you. I love you this much that, that I am going to do this. And it was just an, it's an awesome little phrase that she said here. Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. When you die, I, where you die, I'll die. We'll be buried there. And, and I promise you that I will do this. And so what we begin to see in the book of Ruth here is we see a picture of great love right away. We see the great love of Ruth for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And we see this amazing thing laid out before us. And it is a picture of Christ and his faithfulness to us. And it is a picture of how much Christ takes care of us on a regular basis without fail. So verse um, um, 19 says, so they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And so they came to Bethlehem. Go to chapter 2 then. All right? God's love is uh, un unyielding. God's love never stops. But then we see that God's love is very welcoming. And we see what happens in chapter 2 here. And it says this. Let me see. Hold on just a sec here. Um, we begin to see the whole process of the Redeemer thing in chapter 2. Um, God changes things. The, the famine is gone. Things are starting to improve. He, he starts to bless the people. And, and so we see how he begins to take care of Ruth and Naomi in this chapter. Chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to that field and glean among the ears of uh, of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to him, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field that belongs to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Elimelech. And, and so... What went on in the time was that God set up the fact that the way that poor people would be taken care of, one of the ways is that in the field, as you harvested your, harvested your crop, you were not allowed to go back and pick up what you dropped. If it fell out, if it didn't make it in, if you didn't pick it out, you left it in the field to lie. The other thing is you didn't harvest the corners of your field. That was left there also. And this was, this was a way of God saying, I want to take care of other people. And it is one of the things that, that we learn in life that it is our responsibility and it is our responsibility to help other people. Why do you have what you have? Because God has given it. That's exactly right. And the phrase that we hear uttered a lot in different ways in different places and maybe that you have uttered is, but by the grace of God. Okay? 
big lie. Do you believe that? Do we really believe that? If we do believe that, then we recognize that as we've been blessed by the grace of God, we should bless those who don't have quite like what we have. And so the Old Testament principle that God was teaching was that you need to take care of one another. You really do need to take care of one another. That is a, a great principle in life. And the nation of Israel was told to take care of one another and that you pour into one another and you provide for one another and you help out. The church is supposed to do that same thing. Now, we can't take care of people completely, and that's all right, but we can do an awful lot. The idea of the nation, of the society taking care of people is a relatively new idea. You all understand that, right? Relatively new idea. Well, in fact, when did even Social Security start? Uh, you probably know. 1936. So before that, I mean, the, the idea of, of the society taking care of, of people Unknown, unheard of a handful of years ago. All through society. So who's going to take care of people? Well, the body of believers. Those who have those like-minded associations are going to take care of people. Isn't that exactly what we see in life today, right? If, 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 uh, if, there, is a, if there is a tragic uh, event and, and, and the person who is affected is a part of the 4-H club, what does the 4-H club people generally do? They rally around. If they're part of this group, they rally around. If they're part of this group, they rally. that's how life is. Okay? And that's exactly what needs to go on in the church, and we see that. They rally around. They take care of it. And the Bible says you should take care of orphans and widows, and you should do your best to help out. The church is supposed to rally around people. That's what we're supposed to do. Okay? One of the difficulties that we, that we have in, in, in our society today is that we're so busy and we're so hung up and we're so filled with ourselves that we don't do nearly as well as we should, it seems like, with that. And then the other thing that has happened in our lives is that we allow the government to take care of it. We, and and we, we live in a place where that happens a lot, so we just let it happen. We need to understand that God has set this up, that we do this, that we help one another out. And the main reason why I believe that God has done this is because God wants us to be reminded constantly that what you have is not by your hand and you need to help other people out, okay? It is God's grace. So that's the whole idea. So when she said, I'm gonna go glean in the field, it was because they were fulfilling their obligation under the Mosaic law to leave things in the field so that the poor people could come pick it up and survive, all right? So. She departed, she went, and then in verse number three, it, it is interesting that it says she happened to come to the portion of field, or her chance chanced upon, okay? And the Bible says that, and we understand that what's happening behind that is what? is God's providence, exactly right. God is guiding, God is working these things out. As we look at life, it's that you happen upon. As we look at life, it's, well, that worked out pretty well. Okay? As you step back and look at the big picture, as we're able to do here, as we read the book of Ruth, we understand that it's God's providence that is working these things out, okay? and, that, and that that is exactly what's going on. Now, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And, he's, and they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? In other words, this is one that I don't recognize, and she was new to the area. Who is she? Whose family is she? What's the situation with her? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, she is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from morning until now, now and she has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. 
Do not go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and came to a people you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. And what we have here is a picture of the Redeemer, of God reaching out and loving people. And take it one step further, because we've been in the book of Acts, it's God loving the Gentiles. Okay? And that's what we see. This is a picture of this going on. All right? And this is exactly what's going on. And so Boaz recognized, found out who she was, knew the story. And so he said, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to cast my special care upon you. Okay? I'm going to take care of you. Boaz was taking care of a whole bunch of people. But his special care was upon her. One of the things that we, we read about and we understand is that God is taking care of the world. But his special care is upon believers. Okay? That's how God has set it up. And we see that from the book of Ruth, that that's exactly what was going on and, that, and, and what, um, what was happening here. All right? And it was an important thing. Is that the picture was that there is times when their special love is set upon that. I want you to notice some things that are real important here. He, she said, why in the world are you doing that? And Boaz, Boaz's response was what? Because I've heard of how you've taken care of your mother-in-law. I've heard about who you are. Okay? And I want you to know that there is a principle in life, isn't there? And the principle in life is that as you, as you do what you're supposed to do and word gets out, then when some things happen in your life, people generally rally around you and help out. And that's just the principle of life. I've heard about you. I've heard about your kindness. I've heard about your approach to life. And now that you're struggling a little bit, I want to help out. I want to help you out a little bit. I want to do for you. I want to return that kindness to you. And that's exactly what we see here, and it's an amazing thing. The other thing that I want to say is this. As a believer, what you do does not go unnoticed. You may not think so at the time. You may not think that it's any big deal at any given time. What you as a believer does, do, excuse me, does not go unnoticed, and it trickles out, and word spreads, and word gets out, and you begin to have a reputation. Now, you may not know that you're developing that reputation, and you may never talk to anybody that says, I've heard about you. Because they may not say that to you, but that's how life is. You are developing a reputation, okay? As a person, you have a world that you are a part of. And within that world you are a part of, you are developing a reputation. And because the world that you are a part of generally knows that you are a believer, what is that reputation and what is going on with that? And how is it that you are responding to God properly so that your reputation will be God-honoring and God-glorifying? You cannot think that you live your life in a vacuum. You do not. She did not, and you do not. People know, and it begins to add up, and it's an important thing. All right? 
The next thing I want to point out to you is <clears throat> the next couple of verses here. Verse, uh, verse 12. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to seek refuge. Great verse. Great verse. One of the difficulties that we have in life is this. We, we are not as good as we should be in seeking refuge under the wings of the Lord. And what, is it, what, are, what are some of the reasons why we may not be as good as we should be in that regard? We take it for granted, absolutely. We take it for granted. Individualism, Individualism absolutely. Self-sufficiency, self which is, and we talk about this a lot, self-sufficiency, that's part of the nature and character of who we are as a people in this nation, and that is a big one. We don't always feel like we need God's We don't always feel like we need it. And, and, and one of the reasons we don't feel like we need it is because we think we can do it ourselves, or we're okay, or it's not as bad. That's exactly right. Okay? And there's probably a lot more. When, when we hit a crisis, our focus automatically turns Absolutely. It turns to us. Exactly right. And we turn to all sorts of different things and all sorts of different reasons, and, and we do our best. And yet, the Bible uses this incredibly wonderful verse here, because you have sought refuge under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. If we could learn a lesson from from Ruth, it would be that we, we turn to God first and foremost. We are incredibly self-sufficient people. Incredibly self-sufficient people. Incredibly inward people. Incre people who don't see the big picture sometimes of our need. And we need to get a little bit better at that so that we would run to the Lord and that we would seek refuge under His wings. It's a hard thing to do sometimes, isn't it? That's right. We don't always see him as one who's given us refuge. That's exactly right. Our, 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 our sight is not good sometimes, is it? Okay. All right. So that's what's going on here with that. And, and so we have this whole gleaning thing going on that we've talked about and, and, and the idea of what's going on and how God is providing for and taking care of and how God has directed this woman to this field and that Boaz found out who she was and he takes takes her in and and create and, and treats her very 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 kindly okay so basically in the next couple of verses here throughout this chapter what happens is they develop, they begin to develop a relationship and 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 Ruth excuse me uh, yeah Ruth is really taken care of and Boaz makes sure that she gets extra and she is blessed in some tremendous ways and and uh, they begin to they begin to have this relationship and then Boaz wants to redeem her and Boaz starts to, to find out, you know, what are the close relatives? And so the way it worked, and as you read this, and we're going to skip over this, we're not going to do this part. As, as the way it worked in the Old Testament was <clears throat> the closest relative had the right to do the redeeming. Okay, now I say the right to do the redeeming, the right, the privilege, the responsibility. Because with that responsibility came property. I mean, you, you got you gained wealth when you did this sometimes. Not always, not in this case, but sometimes you gained wealth because you gained property from that dead person. They own that property and, and now you redeem that woman and that property becomes yours. And so it was a good thing, but it was also a responsible thing because then you had, you know, you're taking care of somebody else. So you had the right as a relative to say, I don't want to do that. And if this one didn't do it, then the next relative had the right to do it and so on and so on and so on. 
So what we find out here in this story is Boaz does some research and finds out that there was a person who has the right to do it. And so he goes to that person and they meet in front of the elders and they lay their case out. And he basically says, I don't want to do it. And Boaz says, I do. Okay, that's basically what happens in this next a handful of verses here in, in Ruth, okay? And then uh, you have this fascinating thing with the sandal and this tradition, and you can read all about it, and it's really, it's kind of interesting, all right? That's what happens with this. Bottom line is, Boaz says, I want to be the redeemer. Chapter four. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing, so he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here, and he he turned aside, he sat down. He took 10 men of the elders of the cities and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. And they went to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother, Emelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, before, buy it before those who are sitting here, before the elders of my people. If you redeem it, redeem it. If not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the land of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased as the, as the inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. So when there was just land involved, the relative said, I'll do it. When a woman and responsibilities, he said, not, not so quick here. Because, because he, you know, would have complicated some things, obviously, in life. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption of the exchange of land to confirm any manner. A man removed a sandal, gave it to another man, and this was the manner of, a, of attesting in Israel. So you attested to this. Here you go. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed a sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Amalek and belonged to Chilin and Malin. Moreover, I have required Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malin, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased and his inheritance so the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. So we see re the redemption. We see what God did here through these people that Ruth was taken care of. And we see that the children of Ruth belong still to her first husband, and that line continued then. And we see that God set all that up so that people would have a future and would have a hope and would be taken care of in the right way. And so they said, we are witnesses. And this is it. Verse 12 says, moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring, which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife and went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, and this is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the woman and the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so we see the line from Christ came through this event, okay? I want to point out to you something so that you're not saying, what in the world is the Bible saying here? What kind of thing is going on here? Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And it was a symbolism type thing. And all it meant was that she wasn't the one nursing the baby, taking care of the baby in that respect. 
It was a symbolism type thing that she was a part of that baby and was raising him when it was close to him, as grandmothers are many times. That's all that amounts to. So it's not anything bizarre or strange or weird, all right? And it was just the, the terminology of the day is what was going on with that. And so we see that the line of the Redeemer began here as this woman was redeemed. And so it's kind of cool that the book of Ruth, and, and I would encourage you to read all of it and read through it carefully. It's four chapters. It won't take long at all. It is pretty amazing that then this book where we learn about redemption in an incredibly ugly, terrible time, the time of Judges, we are introduced into a couple of names here, and those names are David and Jesse and Obed. And we know that that's the line that Jesus Christ came from. Isn't it neat that God did that and he showed us a practical illustration of redemption and then the Redeemer came through that line? Isn't that amazing how God did that to show us that redemption matters? All right? What we want to do, any questions on that? And that's incredibly fast and you guys are kind of familiar with you, Ruth. Let me read the, this week's essential doctrine. And it is God's love or God is love, excuse me. To say that God is love is to say that God is the essence of love, or that perfect love both resides and resonates within God himself, one God and three persons. The imperfect love that human beings share between one another is a dim reflection, a sign that points to the perfect love that resides within God. The greatest act of love by God toward humans isn't the giving of earthly goods, but the giving of himself in Christ so that we might become reconciled to himself, that we might be redeemed. God's love, it's something that you have learned from, if you went to Sunday school at all, anywhere in your life, it's something you learned from the time you were tiny. You've always heard about God's love. God's love is incredibly hard for us to understand, incredibly hard for us to understand. And the reason it's hard for us to understand, as the quarterly pointed out here, is that what we see on earth is we see this thing called love, and yet, what kind of love do we generally see on earth? A conditional love. Absolutely. What else? Performance-based. Performance Infatuation. Infatuation. That's exactly right. A pretend love. What else? We see fading love. We say incomplete love. We see love that stops. We see all sorts of things on this earth as examples of love that we call love. And then we go to the Bible and we read the words, God is love, and we think, I wonder what God is. I wonder. Because we don't have good examples of love, do we? It's a tough thing on this earth. This is imperfect people living imperfect lives, expressing imperfect love on a regular basis. And so we wonder what is God and what is his love. You can't comprehend God's love right now. It's too much for you. It's too much for us. God's love is so remarkable and so amazing that we can't, we can't fully comprehend it. And I don't think that, I think it's like a lot of things with God. This is certainly one of those things. We won't get God's love until we're in his presence. And then we'll understand it in a tremendous way. But here's what you need to know and that we need to, we need to, we need to understand and cling to is that the examples of love that you see on this earth, they are poor reflections, right? Poor reflections. We do our best, but we have issues. God's love doesn't contain any of those issues, any of those problems, any of those things. When you read about God's love in the Bible, you need to take the words at face value and cherish them, not, not understanding them in the light of anything you've seen, 
not understanding them in the light of anything you've experienced on this earth, you need to read these words at face value and say, that is what God is. And it is different than anything I've seen. Okay? Let's look up some verses that talk about that. Jeremiah chapter 31. Probably not a one of these verses will be new to you. Not a one of them will be shocking to you. We just want to be reminded this morning of God's great love for us. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says this, The Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. An everlasting love. How much did God love you back here? Yeah, same, but that's, that's yeah. That, just say a whole lot, right? How much does God love you here? And how much is he loving you there? Whatever it was there is what it is at every spot in between, no matter how you're behaving at any given moment. God's love is everlasting. It's constant. It's forever. Okay? Guyan, one of the things that was said, Guyan used the performance-based. It is. Love is performance-based in our world. It, just, it is. We, we try to be unconditional in our love, but it's a tough thing. Okay? God has no part of that. No part of that. And, 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 and what's my proof for that? He gave his son. What else, though? He redeemed you. Yeah. <laughs> you said that like you know who you are. <laughs> We're not saved what we do. But, and the way I was thinking was all the old story is Testament stories. What have we seen the last two weeks? We've looked at imperfect judges, and we've gone to Hebrews and seen what? Their names are in Hebrews 11. Okay? We know that God loves us because we see the examples in the Old Testament of people who have done some remarkably terrible, outrageous, ungodly things. And as we read the whole story, what do we find out about God toward them? We love them with an everlasting love. Okay? John 3.16, of course. You know that one. For God so that he gave. Okay? God loved the world. And he proved it by giving us Jesus Christ as our Savior. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start reading at verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. When did he love us? When we were doing all of these things. We were the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience, lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, nature, by nature children of wrath. God loved us. 
a remarkable thing. 1 John chapter 4. Beginning at verse number 9. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God. Because why in the world wouldn't we love God based upon what God has done for us? That's not a remarkable thing. That's a common sense thing. How do you not love God when you recognize that he has done this? When he has showered you with gifts and showered you with all that we have and we go on forever about that. This isn't love, not that we loved God. The amazing thing, the real love, is that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's real love. That's everlasting, overwhelming love, is that he did that for us. Titus chapter 2. verses that I want to look at now kind of describe God's love, if you will. Let's uh, begin reading at verse number 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deeds and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. His great love is seen in the fact that he gave us. He gave himself for us in that amazing way. Matthew chapter 20. Verse number 28. What is his great love? Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's his great love. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having, retain, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? One of the, one of the amazing things that we read in the story of Ruth is that it's very possible that although, although Ruth was redeemed and she was taken care of, it was very possible that later in her life she would find herself in the exact same situation again. This talks about an eternal redemption. Okay? An eternal Never, never changes. Uh, we had a discussion and it, uh, 
exactly right. It's the cleansing. It's the changing of who we are. It's exactly right. And then two more verses, Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1, 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've been redeemed. And the, the, the picture is of Ruth is that is there is redemption. There is a thing called redemption. And it was a temporary thing, and God set it up so that we would understand what Jesus Christ did for us. All of those things in the Old Testament, all those ideas about redemption, all those things about the kinsman redeemer, all those things about the widows being taken care of, all of those things were leading up to so that we would understand Jesus Christ and what he did for us. The best thing that you can remember today is simply what Dean said earlier. When we were asked the question, how do we know? And he says, well, because he loves me and I know me. And well, if that's possible, anything's possible, right? The best thing you can do probably today is just think about you. And think about that God has not forsaken you. He has not walked away from you. He has not condemned you. He has not abandoned you. He has not thrown up his hands in disgust and said enough. That's an amazing thing. God's love. His redemption is overwhelming. Father, thanks for our time together in this class. Thank you for the redemption that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the stories of the Old Testament where we can look at them and read them and, and, and we're learning about Jesus Christ. We're learning about what, he, what he's done for us and how he works. And we thank you that we see the idea of redemption. We see the idea of gleaning and, and, and how you provided those, established those things in the Old Testament so that then when it came to the New Testament and Jesus, we would say, ah, I get it, I see it. It's a completion of all that. It's the fulfillment of all of that. It's all of that and more in God. And we thank you that that's who you are, that you are a complete God. Father, may we, may we run to you for refuge. May we hide under your wing for refuge. May we find protection with you as our Redeemer. We just thank you for your amazing, wonderful love. We pray as Paul prayed that we would understand the depth and the height and the width and the scope of your love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, ma'am. Boaz was descended from Rahab the harlot. That's exactly right. So he understood that idea. Yeah, that's right. And he understood that idea of needing redemption and what it is that God does. That's exactly right. It is good to look back and know who we are, isn't it? And to know what God has done for us. Good point.